I challenge you to a duel. Hello and welcome to episode 9 of the Movie Jewel podcast. My name is Peter and I am your host. Each episode of the Movie Jewel podcast we select a subject that's based around movies and then myself and my co-host each select a film that we feel best fits that subject. Only rule is that we can't pick the same movie more than once. This week we're joined once again by the fantastic uh, Vanessa Cordner and we'll be discussing our selections for best public transport action movie but before we get into that just some reminders about how you can get into contact uh, with us here at movie jewel podcast Uh, first of all there's our facebook page Uh, if you can uh, like and follow that it would be fantastic Um, you're more than welcome to leave us a little rating and review on there as well and you're also able to send us a message through that as well, should you wish to get in contact with us. You can email us at moviejewelpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, and we are now also on Twitter as well. Uh, you can follow us at moviejewelpod. Um, it's fairly virgin territory for, for myself on Twitter. I've not really spent much time on there, but uh, it'd be nice to get some followers on there and start to connect uh, with some people through that. Plus, we'll likely be adding the polls on there. Uh, it's a lot easier to do that on, on Twitter than it is most of the platforms. Um, so look out for those. It'd be interesting to see uh, whether you agree with myself or with uh, Vanessa on this uh, on this episode. And as always, you know, if you can leave, leave us a little rating and review on whichever podcast platform uh, you listen to us on, um, then that really helps us to, to gain new listeners. And a big thanks, a big shout out to anybody who has left us a rating or review um, at this time. It's uh, It's been nice to get some some, some good feedback um, and you know some good suggestions for the future as well. So without further ado, let's head on over to the main discussion. So welcome back to the podcast, Vanessa. Hello. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, it's really sunny here, which is nice in central Scotland. We don't we don't see the sun very often, so uh, it's quite exciting. What's that, what's that in the sky? Yeah, it's still <laughs> quite cold to be honest, but uh, it's nice. How are you? Oh, not too bad. Not too bad. You know, the sun's shining down here as well. Um, good stuff. You know, it's uh, it's nice not to have to wear a coat, which is always good. yes, yes, definitely. Uh, so, um, what have you been up to? Have you seen Have you seen anything anything new recently? Uh, I've seen a couple of things at the cinema. I think since we last spoke, I saw Peril, which I thought was fantastic. Mm. Absolutely loved it. I thought it was even better than um, X, which I really liked as well. I just okay. loved like the Technicolor kind of. Wizard of Oz type stuff mm. and it was fucking deranged and oh I just I'm really pleased I saw it in the cinema as well actually um, what else have I seen in the cinema oh, I saw Infinity Pool so I saw Infinity Pool last week which I enjoy I didn't enjoy it as much as Peril I think it went on a little mm. bit too long but definitely I still enjoyed it and I, I still think Mia Goth is pretty awesome I cannot believe that she is 
with Sheila LaBeouf though. That is <laughs> outrageous. See, when I read that, I was like outraged that she would be with some. I don't know why, because, I mean, he might be a nice guy, but he seems like a dick. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I've, I've watched a lot of stuff um, just at home. I watched The Wicker Man 2006 on Sunday when I was feeling unwell and it did not make me feel any better. Um <laughs> But uh, yeah, oh, and I've been I've I've been watching the Evil Dead films because obviously I'm going to see Evil Dead Rise next Thursday. So cool. um, so yeah, how about you? Um, I've not watched too much really. I've been had quite a busy few weeks. I took my daughter on a, a date night in the uh, middle of last week to go and see the new Super Mario Brothers, which was right. really really good. Really enjoyed it. Okay. Um, hell of a lot better than the 1992 offering. Um, <laughs> Really fun, you know, a lot of sort of callbacks to the old games and things like that. And, yeah, really good, really nice and short as well. Kids film doesn't, you know, I think it's an hour and a half, something like that. But it was really fun. My daughter really enjoyed it. She was applauding at the end. Oh, was she? That's good. (laughs) Does she know, like, do do, do kids still play Super Mario? Is that still a thing? Yeah, oh, Oh, right, okay. Yeah, yeah. She had a bit of uh, money, I think, she got for Easter, so... I think the following day she went and bought Mario Kart for a Switch as well. Oh, a Switch. Is that the Nintendo one? Yes. Right, okay. Yeah, Yeah, I'm really not up to date. See, because I don't have kids, I really struggle with, like, what the young people are doing. But um... Well, she was was really surprised how good I was. I'm like, I'm old school at this. (laughs) Super Mario Kart on the the snares. On the snares, I've played every iteration since it's come out. Oh, good. It's old school. I'm glad it was good. Mm, really I think it's been it. quite successful. I think it's been a, yeah. quite a box office success. Yeah, I think it's. I think a lot of people, you know, maybe I don't think Super Mario sort of thrown down people's faces like it was in the nineties. Um, so I think it's a it is a bit of a surprise that it's still going and it's still popular. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so obviously, after our, our last discussion. Um, on Paul Verhoeven movies, um, invited you back to, uh, to to have another discussion, um, and this time uh, I let you choose the subject. So pop quiz, hot shot. <laughs> you're asked to guest on a movie podcast, and you're asked to pick a subject. What do you choose? What do you choose? <laughs> uh, I chose action movies set on. Public transport. There's probably a better way of saying that. Best public transport action movie. Actually, yeah, yeah. And if you have to include planes as public transport for it to work. <laughs> so anything set on, what, like a plane, I suppose a ship, a train or a bus would count. Okay, cool. Was it an easy choice for you? Fairly. Um, yeah, speed... Um, was the first thing that popped out of my head. I love Speed. Um, I've watched it multiple times. But, to be fair, when I was thinking about it, there's quite a few good, especially, like, plane-based action movies, kind of, like, mid-90s stuff, like Passenger 57, um, Conair. I said, put the bunny back in the box. Uh, Snakes in a Plane... Some train stuff, the taking of Penham one, two, three, and um, 
or something else popped into my head there and it just fell straight back out. But yeah, I think there's there's quite um there's quite a few Oh the commuter, that was it, it's set on a train, it's um what's his name? Liam Neeson. And mm. oh do you know what I watched recently actually that probably could fit into this category? Red Eye. Um, the Wes yeah. Craven film. I got a Paramount subscription recently because Yellow Jackets um, is the, the second season's out on Paramount. So I've been trying to watch as many things on Paramount because it's only like 10 episodes long. So as soon as that's over, I'll probably get rid of the subscription. And I thought, <laughs> I, was getting re- I was getting ready to go somewhere and I was like, I had like an hour and a half to kill and I was like, oh, I'll stick on um, Red Eye. And I was... Actually, quite pleasantly surprised. It was mm. all right um, for what it is. Um, I thought it was all right. So, and oh, there's another one. There's a Jodie Foster one as well. Is it Flight Plan? Flight Plan, Flight Plan. Yeah. I don't know about you, but I really enjoy movies set in like a single location. So anything where people are stuck on one like form of transport. Mm. I like things like Twelve Angry Men. You know, things that are set in like a room or yeah. a hotel or that kind of thing. I think it just ups the stakes a little bit where people can't really go anywhere so um yeah so yeah this is definitely a category that i probably could have picked other things for but speed i think is probably the best and if you're talking about action i think it's the most action-packed um tense well, it's not tense now because i've seen it like 50 times but like you know when you first see it it's like quite a tense it's quite a tense movie so how about you what um how, how did you pick your movie yeah well there wasn't too many i considered the my my choice pretty much came to me straight away but you know considered things that you've mentioned there con air um snakes on a plane um i don't think it's the best but it's a be a fun one to talk about um die hard 2 mm-hmm. is sort of yeah but then you could also consider die hard with a vengeance i suppose as well because there's a lot of there's taxes in that, so that's probably a little bit of a stretch. But uh, no, I I was I was firm in my decision. The first thing that popped into my head, um, which was uh, executive decision from 1996. A shipment of the nerve toxin DZ5 was hijacked. Are you saying nerve gas is on board on March 15th? Yes, sir. Have six men. Keep it going. Have only three hours. To disarm a bomb. What if you do? Don't cut that wire. You can forget Washington. But I'm nervous in here to wipe out half the eastern seaboard. There's only one catch. You have to board a plane five miles above the earth. No word from Travis. Order the F-14 to intercept the 747. The Pentagon is going to shoot us down. What are you doing up here? Who else is going to do it? You? You have your orders. We're locked on target. Execute them. They're getting ready to light us up. Directed by Stuart Baird, starring Kurt Russell, Halle Berry, John Leguizamo, Oliver Platt, David Suchet, and Steven Seagal. Uh, the synopsis for Executive Decision is uh, when terrorists seize control of an airliner, an intelligence analyst accompanies a commando unit for a mid-air boarding operation. So I first saw this probably not long after it came out. It would probably be uh, about a year, year and a half after it came out. It was a, it popped up on Sky Box Office. I can't remember. If you, don't know if you remember that. 
early sort of oh big paying for films yeah i mean you still do pay like you still have like sky store and stuff but yeah yeah, yeah, i do we never had sky like i have sky now as an adult but as a child (laughs) my parents were never really in sky so the only time i ever got to watch sky i used to babysit a lot um, the street we lived in, there was a lot of younger kids. So when I was about like 14 or whatever, I used to babysit for, I don't know, like a tenner or whatever. And that used to be the highlight, being able to watch people's Sky. So yeah, I remember Sky Box Office. Well, the beauty of Sky Box Office is you could record off it. So I used uh, to record, buy things and record them. I yep. Things like Anaconda and oh, Scream yeah. and, and this stuff. was one of them, <laughs> The Relic, loads of films like that. So I used to just watch them again and again. You know, I was... I I was a big fan of Kurt Russell. One of my favourite films is uh, uh, Big Trouble in Little China. Mm-hmm. Um, seen him in loads of stuff: Tombstone, Overboard, um, Captain Ron, Escape from New York. I think I'd seen by that point as well. So I was, I, was, I knew there were a lot of Kurt Russell films that I I enjoyed. So it it was a big sort of selling point for me to 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 watch this film um, and its planes and its action. So. Fourteen-year-old me just just really ate it up, you know, loved it. Have you seen um, the Chronicles of Christmas that he's been in like not yes. that long ago? I really really enjoyed the first, the second one. I didn't think was that great, no, but the, the first, first one I've watched I've watched like every Christmas for like the last three years. <laughs> I think it's quite it's quite like touching. It's quite emotional. Do you watch that before or after you watch Basic Instinct? <laughs> <laughs> Watch basic things like that close to Christmas. Oh, right. <laughs> no, but Christmas Chronicles is actually becoming like a yearly Christmas watch. Mm. Um, oh, I think it's I think it's brilliant. Kurt Russell's amazing in it. He's really good. Yes, you know I don't think there's not. I can't think of anything I've seen Kurt Russell in that he's bad in. He's been in some bad films or films that aren't so great, but I can't think of a performance that you could really knock for Kurt Russell. I think he's very versatile. Yeah, he's he's very versatile and yeah, he's just he's kinda classic Hollywood handsome action. Mm. But he doesn't just do I mean I suppose in this um film he wasn't your just like classic action guy. He was like um in the intelligence service, he yeah. wore glasses, which in the nineties meant you were clever. Like if you wore glasses in movies that was just like a sign that you were yeah. smart. Well, and that's it. He's- yeah, he was scared of going on the plane. and You know what I mean? He wasn't like just out and out, like Steven Seagal that, kind of character. That's it. You look at it, you know, you look at his filmography. He's, he's, he's very versatile. He can play the action here. He can do a snake plisskin and, you know, escape from New York, escape from LA. And, you know, he can do the sort of bumbling action hero in Big Trouble in Little China. And he can play these kind of characters, you know, that aren't... Uh, or, sort of unlikely heroes you know it's a bit like breakdown i don't know if you've seen that no i haven't you know where his wife goes missing very good film really good film but you know he's just an everyman who you know rich guy out in you know rural america and his wife gets kidnapped basically um and he's you know he's he's not a heroic character but he's got to sort of step up to to save his wife kind of thing yeah so you know he's yeah he can turn his hand to most things really and he's in the thing Exactly, yeah. And he's yeah, fantastic yeah. in the thing. You can play a loner as well. Yeah, he's um no, I like I've got I've got a lot of time for Kurt Russell. Um really like him. Really like overboard actually, although it is really problematic and has tons <laughs> of issues when you look at it now, but um but he like you said he's really versatile because he's quite funny 
and overboard. Mm. I, I suppose overboard it probably helps that he's acting with Goldie Hawn. They were already together, I think, at that point. Yeah. So they've obviously got quite good chemistry. But no, I think um, Kurt Russell's great, and it just shows you like things like the Chronicles of Christmas that he's still got it even mm. even now. Definitely. Uh, so Stuart Bird, Stuart Bird, Bird, yep, Stuart Bird, Bird. Bird. <laughs> uh, Stuart Bird's <laughs> directing debut. Um, his primary experience was as an editor. Uh, lots of action films, Lethal Weapon, Dial 2, Demolition Man, Casino Royale. But he also did films like The Omen, Tommy, Superman. Oh, so wow. Very, okay. You know, another versatile gentleman um, putting his hand to lots of different kind of films. Uh, but you definitely know his action. He only directed three films. Uh, U.S. Marshals, which was the sort of sequel to The Fugitive, which is okay, not brilliant, but oh, really? um, and Star Trek Nemesis, which again is okay, but not brilliant. Uh, but you, you know, it, an editor—you can always bank on a good editor to make a, a, a well-made film. Yeah, you know, we discussed, or I discussed with Liam, um, Return to Oz, which was. Return to Oz is brilliant. Yeah, and that that was uh, you know a guy who was uh, uh, his his craft was editing. Um, it was only film he sort of directed, and uh, and yeah, that was you can tell that it was made by a good editor. Uh, it was written by uh, Jim and John Thomas, who were brothers. Worked on screenplays for nearly all of the Predator franchise as well, whether it's um, the whole script or just working on the script and stuff. So again. You know, you've got some guys who are, are well-versed in action. The practical effects as well in this film, I thought, were were really good for the time. In 1996, the, you can't... Well, I couldn't spot any CGI. I think it was all miniature work or, you know, optical effects, um, mm-hmm. practical effects. You can slightly tell that the plane towards the end is a, is a miniature, but really well done, really well made. You know, a really suitable score for... Uh, Jerry Goldsmith as well, who's always a, a safe pair of hands when it comes to... Uh, he, did, um, he did Basic Instinct, didn't he? Yes, he's done loads, Alien, all sorts of stuff. Yeah, yeah, no, the, I thought the, the score was good. But obviously something to talk about, the sort of, before we get into the, the, the grittiness of the uh, of the plot and everything, obviously this film was pre-9-11. Yeah, I wrote that down when I was watching <laughs> it, actually. <laughs> Uh, and it wasn't shown for a long time after, obviously. The, the oh, was it? Right, right. Um, and then when it sort of came back, it was quite edited. It, they took taken out a lot. They'd taken out a lot of the references to sort of Islam, Allah, and all that sort of stuff, really. Um, but you know, as far as I could tell, this the version I watched, which was I think the same as you through, um, you know, purchasing online. Um, was 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 uncut. I can't think that there were any changes. Um, the version I watched, they definitely. I mean, they definitely were Islamic kind of fundamentalists. Um, yeah, well, yeah. I mean, I I picked up a little bit more on this watch, maybe a bit less than before. I mean, I think this is only this. I would say probably only the, the second time I watched it since nine eleven. I watched it a lot pre nine eleven, but obviously. You know, it's very easy to to make that sort of connection um, to is Islamic fundamentalists, I suppose, is the right phrase. Um, but really, you know, it's 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 almost like a bit of a diehard situation. They're being sort of played by um, 
uh, Najee Hassan, who's played by David Suchet. Um, you know, they're uh, most of the guys, uh, most of the terrorists, quote unquote, are um, are there because they're trying to get um, uh, Yaffa, the the sort of leader, the the you know the the guy that that gets arrested at the start of the film. Um, yeah, they think they're doing this to get him freed, but obviously Hassan's mission is to blow this plane up across American soil. Um, there's obviously a point in the film where one of his um, uh, one of his, his his men sort of challenge him once uh, once Yaffa's been released. Now that I'll be off as free, shall I order the plane to change course back to Algeria? No. But why? We are the true soldiers of Islam. Our destiny is to deliver the vengeance of Allah into the belly of the infidel. This has nothing to do with Islam. This is not Allah's will. You are blinded by your hatred, and I will have nothing to do with your plan. Our mission was to free Abu Yafa. He is our leader, not you. Which I thought was really interesting, actually. You know, it's, it's easy. It would have been easier to just do, you know, these Islamic sort of radicals that are doing it to to hurt as many people as possible, like the nine eleven attacks. But yeah. it's it is just this sort of one guy who's who's using them for his own his own ends, really. Yeah. Um, but. You know, David Suchet, what a performance. He's brilliant. I mean... Obviously, here in the UK, you know, we're oh, we're very familiar with David Suchet as... Uh, he, fucking hell. I'll take a minute here because I'm going to really mispronounce this. We're really familiar with him as Hercule Proro in uh, in the TV series um, as this sort of kindly gentleman detective from France. He's Belgian. He just... That's the, that, that's quite funny though because that's I'm a big um, Poirot fan and that's like the running joke that people think he's French and he's actually Belgian. Yes, I shall slap myself on the. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and I mean, he, you know, he's not David Suchet. Isn't he's not Arabic. He's he's Lithuanian. Um, his his father was Lithuanian Jewish. Um, uh, so you know, there is a little bit of. I don't know whether you call it cultural appropriation or, or whatever, but definitely pulls off the sinister, untrustworthy sort of radical. The, the, there were genuine moments, especially his interactions with uh, Halle Berry's character, that you just on the edge of your seat and just it really tense, really, really believable, and you sort of seriously fear for for Halle Berry in those moments.
but yeah, sort of got to, nipping back to to Kurt Russell, the, the character of David Grant is obviously this this analyst who um, specialises in in finding out information about terror terrorism, terror attacks, and things like that. Uh, and he first couple of scenes we see that he's uh, he's trained to be a pilot as well. Um, Kurt Russell is actually a, a pilot in real life. Right. He's, he's qualified and everything. Um, and then his, his second scene, we see that he gets cock-blocked by the American government <laughs> trying to, to, to entice somebody to the hockey, which obviously comes full circle towards the end. When he asks Halle Berry's character if she likes hockey, and she says, no, I'm a, I'm a baseball girl, and she was actually married to, to a famous baseball player at the time. Oh, are you okay, I don't know that. Yeah, he's pretty flawless, I think, Kurt Russell. I don't think there's anything in this film you can say he's... You know, he's phoning anything in. He, he conveys his fear really well. Um, he's not hamming it up. Uh, yeah, it's just really good, solid performance from Kurt Russell. They're all solid performances, actually. Um, yeah, I think like, so. I'd never Aside seen this. from one. <laughs> I'd never seen this film before, um, and uh, I just watched it for the first time last night. And when you said that um, David Sushi was in it, I kind of thought... Is he going to kind of ham it up a little bit as the baddie? Because I'm used to him with this like waxed moustache in Poirot, <laughs> and he didn't, you know, you know, because some baddies can a wee bit like um, what's his name in Die Hard? Um, Rickman. Yes, Alan Rickman. Um, you know, who are obviously hamming it up. He's not like that. He plays it really straight, and he is actually mm. quite like you said that the, the the bits with him and Halle Berry. He's actually quite frightening. Um, which I didn't expect. I thought it would be more on the kind of hammy camp, playing it for laughs, and I didn't get that from it at all. He was actually really quite scary. And the other mm. terrorists, you really don't get to know very well. They're basically just like kind of hired muscle, and none of them really have any agency. He's the only one that mm. you really get to know anything about. But no, I, I was kind of pleasantly surprised by how kind of dark his character was. Yeah, definitely. I mean... You know the opposite to that. I would know Steven Seagal, who plays Austin Travis, which is a proper action movie name. Yep, Austin Travis. You know he means business. Um, but you know he was he was rumored to be very demanding on the film, uh, not very nice to work with. Um, uh, actually, Taekwondo'd um, John Leguizamo into a wall. All right. To assert his dominance. What did Steven Seagal do to you? We were in rehearsals for executive decision, okay? I'm playing his master sergeant, and we come in for rehearsals, and he comes in, I'm in command. What I say is law. Anybody doesn't agree? And I was like, <laughs> I started cracking up because he sounded like a retard, and he came up, and he he taekwondoed my ass against a brick wall. He went, he's six foot five, and caught me off guard, knocked all the air at me. I was like, oh, why, why? What I really want to say is how big and fat he is, how he runs like a girl, because he okay. does. <laughs> but I didn't. Sounds like a bit of a dick. Yes, well, there's a lot of not very nice stories about um, Steven Seagal going about in there. So, Thankfully, um, he's not in it that long. <laughs> no, which is great. It's amazing. I love, I love that. Um, he was supposed to actually lose his head, but he, he threw a paddy, basically, and said that my fans wouldn't want to see that, so he just gets... Um, thrown out of this uh, sleeve that's that's attaching the two planes in the end. But yeah, like I said, I'm, I'm not a fan of his, so I didn't really care. I thought it was really nice to to see him sort of go. Um, and I much prefer the rest of the Marines. I think there's a really good 
Um, some really good casting choices here. Uh, John Leguizamo, he's he near enough steals to show. I think I think he's really good in this as uh, as Rat. He's a great actor. I, I first came across him in um, Romeo and Juliet. You know the uh, nineteen uh-huh. I think it was the same year actually, ninety six. Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet. And um, I think he's just one of the guys. He's got like a really expressive face. I saw him recently in the menu. Did you see the menu? Yes. And I thought yeah. he was brilliant in that. John Wick. He's obviously been in not that long ago. Um, Kickass Two, which wasn't a particularly yeah. good film, but I thought he was. But he's he's quite a dependable actor, I think, and he's just he's yeah. good in. Have you seen um, the the Summer of Sam, Spike Spike Lee film? No, I haven't. About the son of Sam Killer. Oh yeah, Good. yeah, yeah. I think it's on Disney Plus at the moment. Mm. I think. I'll check it. Well, it's out. not. It's not. It's not. It's sort of set in a neighbourhood around that time, and there's this sort of paranoia about the son of Sam Killer, basically. But he's one of the sort of residents. Really good film. Worth a look. Early performance from um, Adrian Brody as well. Oh right, okay. Mm. Um, but yeah, he gets he gets all the good lines here, which apparently he ad libbed most of them. There's a good movie on this flight. But, he, you know, he fits the role really well. Has to step up once Steven Seagal's character uh, has, has gone. Apparently, Seagal's character was supposed to stay the course of the film originally, but because he pissed everybody off, they killed him off early and gave all of his... The rest of his role went to John Leguizamo's character. But as I say, you know, he, he, he apparently improvised a lot of his lines... Kurt Russell didn't like that. He didn't like working with somebody who improvised his li- his own lines, um, and apparently the line where um, uh, Kurt Russell's jimmying jimmying himself across the the wire uh, takes his shoes off oh, and yeah. he says, "I hope the smell doesn't give us away." Apparently that pissed Kurt Russell off to a point that he lashed out at uh, John Leguizamo. Oh right, all right. But it's an amazing line, great line. He gets all the good ones. Although he does spend the last half of the film talking out the side of his mouth as well. So I can't, you know, that can't be nice. No, not at all. I thought it, it always was... reminds me of my, my dad always used to say, I don't know if you used to watch um, Emmerdale back in the day, but there's a character, Marlon Dingle, who sort of talked really like the side of his mouth. And my dad always used to be like, that guy at the end of the day must just be, you know, his face must just completely ache. <laughs> but, you know, we've got a good, a really good supporter cast from there on. Oliver Platt as, uh, as Cahill, who's the sort of uh, expert on this uh, this plane, these planes connected up. Uh, you know, he's a believable coward. Um, he sweats so much. They all sweat, which, and none of them drink yeah. any water. I know about this. They never drink any water, and it looks <laughs> like they're in... Like where they are in the plane and they're tense and you know they're nervous, but I get the impression the bit in the plane is kind of like really claustrophobic and sweaty. And I just kept thinking, surely you would have brought and with all those guns and stuff, like a couple of bottles of water, like that you would be able to hydrate yourself. I also thought it was bizarre you mentioned about Kurt Russell taking his shoes off and he's got these like dress shoes on. He's wearing like basically like a suit. So I don't know if that's where that kind of 007 line came from. This 007? But see, if you were actually going on a mission like that, you would wear, like, comfy clothes. You would have on, like, trainers, like, comfy, like, a T-shirt. Like, you wouldn't go on a mission like that wearing a suit, I don't think. Yeah, that's the point. He was at the party there once. He was at some kind of dinner party and got called to 
this this meeting with the generals and then he's got to go there straight to this the plane basically is obviously not the, the intention isn't that he's going to end up on the plane or anything like that yeah so yeah it's um, you know it's all it's all sort of circumstance really um but you know oliver uh, oliver platt's character cahill he did sort of get this really amazing relationship with um joe martin's character cappy yeah which you know cappy has this, the, quite a brutal scene really where he breaks his neck on the on the the sort of hatch into the planes and I mean, fair fucks to him. He he acts the rest of the movie gaffer taped to a board, basically. You know, he's he's got this little mirror so he can see what's going on, but that can't be comfortable, even it, even you know, just acting it. And it really made me laugh at the end where they're putting him into the the back of the ambulance. I think it is the medics, and one of the other soldiers sort of says, "I'll oh, just just wait a minute," because they all want to stop and wave at Kurt Russell, and these guys are just literally holding him in <laughs> midair between the you know the floor. And the the back of the truck, and it's like, yeah, we'll just sort of stand here, holding you up while you smile and wave at Kurt Russell. Uh, but that, you know, that that the whole sort of bomb diffusing scenes in the in this film are really really tense. Yeah, you know, they're not. It's not like that's it. That's you're done. You know, just cut a few wires. They go back and forth through the different decoys. You know, it's very sort of stop start, and then obviously, the, you know, the plastic straw that's the the M- MVP of the whole film saves the day completely. It just reminded me of The Simpsons, where um... Homer Simpson was the real hero here. He jury rigged the door closed using this. Hey, what is that? It's an inanimate carbon rod. <laughs> <laughs> If you watch The Simpsons, I've seen The Simpsons, but not for a while, so I can't, <laughs> I can't totally get the reference. But I did think that plastic straw was going to come into it because, <laughs> as mentioned, it's, it's like, um, what do you call it? Like Chekhov's um, straw. Chekhov's gone. Yeah, it's a bit like that. But um, he's really good in it. Actually, I don't know um, Oliver Platt that much as an actor. I, I suppose the the, the film I recognise him from the most is A Time to Kill. Mm-hmm. And um, I think he is really believable in this. And as you say, he just looks scared. He's sweaty. He's obviously a wee bit out of his depth. Um, he's having to take instruction from Cappy, who, as you say, is laid out. I thought it's quite funny because we're obviously going to go on to speak about speed. Um, and obviously, Joe Morton is obviously all in speed as well as this film. Mm-hmm. But there are parallels around the diffusing I mean it's done quite differently in speed but you've still got this kind of tense trying to diffuse a bomb from like an awkward angle because obviously in mm-hmm. speed Keanu Reeves is like lying under the bus on his back in this movie you've got even though it's Oliver Platt's character that's diffusing it you've got Joe Morton's character laid out on his back looking at him you know there's those mm-hmm. bits are quite similar I thought it was interesting watching them quite close together because there are quite a few similarities even though they're quite different movies mm, definitely definitely um, then you've got a, a, a couple of su- sort of supporting marines I suppose uh, BD Wong is, is, is Louis who's got the most marine haircut <gasps> I've ever seen I wrote that it's like Lego <laughs> I thought it was like a Lego person it's like straight and then straight his hair is unbelievable <laughs> well there was like I can't remember if there were a music group or there were some kind of TV duo like early 90s called Kid and Play and he had one of them had this very sort of square haircut um and that it just reminded me of that and then you've got uh, the fantastically named uh whip hubley 
who plays Baker, recognised he's Hollywood in Top Gun. Oh, right. He's one of the pilots in Top Gun. And then Halle Berry. This woman can do scared. She can do emotion like nobody's business, you know, especially in this film. You know, she's sort of equally sort of plucky and, and, and terrified at the same time. Uh, it's quite an early role for her. Um, yeah. You know, this this was just before she became really big, I suppose. Sort of Swordfish was about 98, 99, I think. Obviously, Monster's Ball a couple of years after that. But, you know, she's, she's really good in this, I thought. Um, it was the first million-dollar role. Yes, yeah, uh, yeah, I like that. You know, and she's she's sort of there to to convey the the, the passengers' fear. Really, she, you know, she's that she's that sort of conscience of the plane, of the passengers, uh, which she does really well. Um, obviously, she sort of gets involved in the, in the action a little bit. She's got to look for the the sleeper, this sort of trigger man. Yeah. Who who in the end is is a bit like a, when they finally sort of find him, and there's this big reveal of who he is. There's this sort of he's sort of lit really oddly. Because obviously you're meant to be drawn to him, and he's almost like a, a a character in a video game that's got a secret mission for you or something like that. He's sort of lit really strangely, with a very very nineties PDA to to trigger the bomb as well. This sort of flip up thing with a little keyboard on. I had, I was really sad. I had something like that. Oh, did you? That around that time, yeah. A little diary and number, you know contact numbers and things like that <laughs> before mobile phones and it did make me laugh actually but there's a bit where she's when she's looking for the trigger man i think she's the, the guy that she thinks it is he sat next to the woman who's got her who drops her tablets in the little little pot and she picks them up and he's like what are you doing this terrorist comes on he's like what what come on what are you doing what are you doing and she's oh, just picking up her tablets and he picks them up gives them a little shake like you've got to do that with pills. You've just got to do it, haven't <laughs> you? Have you? To, yeah. to pick up a pack of pills, you've got to give them a shake. Uh, you know, even you know terrorists have to do that. <laughs> uh, and then you've got uh, JT JT Walsh who uh, plays Senator Mavros. Oh um, yeah, yeah. It's just so strange him not playing some kind of evil bastard because he just I've never seen him not. I mean, he's not. You know, he's he's obviously a bit of a. He's a he's a pure sort of politician, you know. He considers when his aide sort of says, "Oh, you know, we can use this to our advantage if you if you save this plane, kind of thing." Um, so he's not totally sort of, you know, sinless. Um, no. But you know, he's he, he's the sort of sacrificial lamb of the film, I suppose. And it really raises the stakes in that last third as well, because obviously, you know, he's 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 sort of there to say, "Look, we mean business, and we're not going to piss about and bang you dead." But yeah, um, like you said, he's not an out-and-out baddie, but he's obviously just out for himself, looking about how he can make the best out of this situation for himself. So yeah, not a great loss when he goes. But then you've got, you know, you've got, uh, you've got uh, Mary Ellen Trainer, who was um, one of the stewardesses, the one who gets sort of killed pretty oh, yeah. early on. Who's sort of a mini legend in sort of action films? She was in all four of the Lethal Weapon films. She was the um, the sort of psychologist, I think, on the force. She was in Die Hard, Monster Squad, Action Jackson. She was in all sorts of films. So it was nice to sort of see her in a little uh, in a little role here. And then be remiss to mention as well the you know the the, the uh, lost connections in this. 
Yay! I've written that down. Oceanic, <laughs> that's the big one. Isn't it? Well, there's more than one, actually, but um, I had... Do you know what I did last night when I was watching this? I had convinced myself that Oceanic was a real airline that had gone bust. <laughs> like, So you know how like Pan Am went bust after Lockerbie, I think it was, because they mm-hmm. had to pay so much money out in compensation? I had made up a story in my head that Oceanic was a real airline, and they went bust because something must have happened, and now they're was it, was it when I, when it was it when flight eight eight one five crashed? Yes, <laughs> and then to pay all those compensation to all those people, and um, they ended up on that island. And I googled it, and of course it came up. No, it's just used in. I, I think well, it's used here. It's used in Lost, but apparently it's used. There's other mm-hmm. things that it's used in as well. And so I was a bit depressed, yeah. not depressed, but I was a bit upset that um, it wasn't a real... Because I think it's a really good name for an airline. Like, Oceanic. <laughs> it just sounds cool. So, um, but yeah, Oceanic 815. This was Oceanic uh, 343. This was, that's what in this 343, 343. 343. yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, you get this... One of the really brutal scenes sort of early on as well, you get the uh, this this sort of blowing up of a, an English restaurant and we get our... Another lost connection here. Um, it's the psychic that Claire sees in Australia. Yes. And they're not strangers, Claire. They're good people. He's like the maitre d', isn't he? Of the... mm, there's, Jameson. There's also somebody in that scene that I don't know. The guy that's actually the suicide bomber, did you recognise him? Because he's not credited. or he's. I, he, I recognised him from Crocodile Dundee. Too. That's where I recognise him from. <laughs> but I was like, that's definitely that baddie with the long hair. I think his name's Miguel. He's like Rico's left hand man in Crocodile Dundee. Mm. I love Crocodile Dundee, Crocodile Dundee too, far more than anybody should. <laughs> and um, yeah, but it, I, it, it, it took me a wee while to find it. Like I was scrolling through IMDb, so I don't know if he's. I mean, he's barely in it. Is I mean, he's only really in it for a matter of seconds, I think, mm. before he blows himself up. But. Um, but yeah, I thought the, the Lost Connections were quite interesting and then the guy from Crocodile Dundee. There's loads of people you recognise in this. I was speaking to my mum today, actually, because I was telling her we were recording this and she's not seen this movie. And I was saying, like, it's Kurt Russell and Halle Berry and David Sushi. But I was like, there's actually a ton of people that you would watch. And I know what my mum's like. She would be like, I know that person, I know that person, I know that person. Because there's, <laughs> like, the cast is one of those casts, isn't it? That you just would recognise yeah. a lot of the actors. Yeah, yeah, and I mean there is as well. I was I was almost thinking of not mentioning this because I don't want it to become a a a recurring theme for when you're guesting on the movie Jewel podcast. But in that scene in the London restaurant as well, the the hostess is played by Magdalene St Michael, who is a British porn star. Oh, is she? Right. Yes, and obviously we we had Ashling Gear in. Uh, uh, mentioned in in our last episode in Basic Instinct, it was the body double. So I don't want it to become <laughs> when you said, a recurring when theme. When you said there, I don't want it to become a recurring theme. I thought you were going to talk about wanking. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "Where's Pete going with that?" <laughs> no, I can I can say now, right now, I have not wanked over either of these films. No, they're not very. Actually, it was funny. I was thinking about that because I was thinking, God, that last one we spoke about, um, maybe not so much Robocop, but definitely Basic Instinct. Yeah, talking about sex a lot. These two movies are fairly sexless. Like, mm. um, with, with the exception of a couple of wee bits, but obviously there's a characters that are maybe got a wee bit of chemistry with each other mm-hmm. or whatever. They're very, they're not 
sexy movies really at all in that sense, no, are they? Definitely I mean, not. They're sexy definitely in the sense not. that they're like action packed and stuff, but they're not sex filled films. They're very. Um, <laughs> I, I can't. I don't know what I'm trying to say here, but <laughs> I know what you mean. I know what you mean. But I tell you what, this film does have, and that is a shit ton of X Files connections. loads and loads and loads and I just kept looking I'd, I'd found three and I thought I'm going to keep looking you did better than me because when you were when you were messaging me about it I was like oh I think there's one or two <laughs> and then you were like there's like six and I was like oh I felt like I'd really let the, the, the side down <laughs> <laughs> so first of all we've got um, uh, JT Walsh who was Senator Mavros mm-hmm. he played the warden in the list of season three, uh, BD Wong was also in season three episode uh, called Hell Money, which is not one of the best. Joe Morton, who will appear in your choice for this episode as well, um, he was Martin Wells in season eight's Red Rum. Yep, which is one of the better ones of season it, eight. It is actually. I've rewatched season. Oh, I've rewatched them all, but normally I skip season eight and season nine, and I have rewatched <laughs> them. And um, there are more better ones than I've probably given it credit for. They're just to me, they're not as good as the earlier ones, but. But yeah, that one is actually pretty good. Uh, one of the pilots in this film, played by uh, Michael Mulhone, I think that's how you pronounce his name, uh, but he was uh, the sheriff's deputy in uh, season six, Terms of Endearment. Fantastic episode starring Bruce Campbell. Love that episode. That that <laughs> scene where she's driving in the car at the end with garbage playing is just brilliant. And Bruce Campbell, that whole episode, I absolutely love that. Episode. Very kind of Rosemary's Baby, but like funnier. <laughs> <laughs> what <do you> think? <laughs> and then uh, a slightly less memorable one um ken jenkins who plays general wood so he's one of the generals in the mm. in the in the sort of boardroom he he was the transport chief in season eight's uh medusa which was a, a one of the john doggett episodes where he goes down into the subway and there's a some kind of virus, I think, or something like that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I vaguely remember that one, actually. Just thinking about it, um, the one that Joe Morton's in, uh, Red Rum, him and John Dogger, um, his name has totally escaped me, um, G- uh, oh, Patrick, um, is it John? No, what's his name? Robert Patrick. Robert Patrick and Joe Morton were obviously in uh, Terminator 2 together as well. Because that's where I recognised Joe Morton from. I didn't instantly recognise him from the X-Files. I recognised him as the dude who is in charge... Yeah, he's in charge of um, Skynet, isn't he? He's like the main man Mm -hmm. from Skynet. So um, that's how I recognised him. Good actor. I like him. Yeah, he's he's, he's had a a few good roles, really, Joe Morton. But, you know, overall, executive decision, I think it's it's, it's a very tense, it's a very clever action piece. You know, it's not... All guns blazing. There's plenty of sort of guns and shooting and action, uh, but it's not just what it's all about. It's it's very clever. It's it's almost sort of espionagey. Um, uh, you know, it's a little bit over the top, I suppose. In that, you know, the fact that how these these marines get on the plane and stuff. Um, but you know, the terror plot is you know is not really over the top, especially post post nine eleven. Very believable. No, it's quite scary because um, you think you think about how you would react in that kind of like. I always think 
the best kind of films like this are films where you actually do believe it could happen and you think to yourself, like, what, how, how would I react if I was on a plane and that kind of thing happened? And when I was watching it, mm. I did keep thinking back to, like, I mean, I would be a, a complete idiot. I'd be screaming. I'd like to think, you know, I'd be really cool and I'd be able to help the, <laughs> you know, the good guys out. But I, I think in reality, I wouldn't. But I think the best movies like this are ones, and I think it's similar with Speed as well, actually, where you actually think, oh, how would I react if I was in this situation? Mm. Um but I think it's a really... I mean, like I said to you, I hadn't seen it before. I hadn't even heard of it. Um, mm. And then um, I watched it last night and I definitely would watch it again. It's up my street. I think, um, as you say, it's believable. It's it's a good length. Like, obviously David Sushi's character's killed. A f- not a fair... But, you know, there's a fair bit after he dies to the end mm. of the movie. And you do think... Because I think there is a bit of an issue with... I'll come on to it when I speak about speed, but I think speed is actually a wee bit too long. I think, um, but I think in this movie, you know, it's even once he dies, you think, well, how is it going to stay exciting? But then it's exciting because uh, Kurt Russell's character, Dr. Grant, which kept making me think about Jurassic Park, um, (laughs) he has to then land the plane, you know, although he's maybe had some lessons, he's by far a pilot. um, So, yeah, Mm. I, I thought that that was, sorry, can you hear my dog barking? Mm-hmm. Right, okay. I, I think he might want out soon, so I might need to take a, a break soon. But yeah, I thought he was. Um, I thought. I'm losing my train. I thought the end bit where he had to land it, I thought was really impressive as well, and it kept the stakes up. And then once he does land it, it doesn't go on, it just ends at that point. You know, it's just. Yeah, yeah. Doesn't it? I mean, you know, it's, it's. It it performed pretty well at the box office, not fantastic. I mean, it doubled its budget. Um, reviews were, were pretty. Um, Pretty positive. Yep. Um, I mean, I was quite surprised because I looked at this. Um, obviously, it comes up with other films that are similar on things like IMDb and that. And obviously, one of them is Air Force One. And Air Force One is actually rated a, a fair bit higher, um, especially on Rotten Tomatoes and other sort of 10% as um, rated fresh. But um, I think this is a much better film than Air Force One. I mean, it's, it's, it's very slightly sort of, you know, Yay, America kind of film, you know, this one, but not as much as Air Force One. So maybe it's just because I'm not American. I don't know. Um, but you know, I thought it was it was it was clever. It's it doesn't lose you at any point. The tension remains through the whole of the film, near enough. Yep. Um, really strong performances throughout. There's not really anything that you can touch up. Probably Steven Seagal's very much Steven Seagal, but other than that, I just think it's a great film. It's 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 something I go back to quite a lot. Yeah, I loved it. I would go back to it again. I thought it was really tight. I thought all the performances were good, like you said. Steven Seagal is one of these guys that I know of, but I have not seen many movies that he's no. in. And I didn't think he was great in it. I thought he was quite wooden. Um, it makes me like him even less, what you've said about how he treated people on set. I do not think it was any great loss when he died. In fact, it probably gave the other Marines like John Leguizamo and you know people, it made, it meant that the focus was on them instead of mm. him. And no, I didn't, I didn't think he really... In fact, you probably could have made this movie without him and just had somebody less known in that part and it wouldn't really mm-hmm. have made any difference. I don't know at the time if maybe having his name on the poster or whatever maybe would have drawn more people in, but I thought it was a really tight film. 
I thought they definitely needed to be more hydrated. That was one of the issues that I <laughs> that I had with it. Um, but I thought it was, yeah, it was brilliant. I had a really like good couple of standout lines. Like you know, I hope there's a good movie on the plane, like you spoke about when he says the guy in um, Washington says, you know, call the president. It's an executive decision now. Stuff like that, mm. just like snappy wee <laughs> lines, and I love. Morse code. I love when Morse code comes into a movie, like because you you think to yourself, how the hell are they gonna let the military planes know that they're on board? Because obviously they think that they've just died when the mm-hmm. other military plane came apart, and when they start doing the Morse code. I don't know why, I don't know if it's like, and I, I can't even be a nostalgia thing because I'm not old enough to remember when Morse code was a thing. But do you know what I mean? I just always think like, it's like going back to something that's not really, te- they're not using technology, it's like basic and it's, I don't know, it just, do you know what I mean? <laughs> it's, I think it's just cool when people know it and it's, it's, it's like Latin, people who know Latin. You think, oh, that, that's pretty cool if you know Latin or yeah. something like that. Yeah. You know, old school things that people don't know anymore. Definitely, I think it's really cool. So, uh, so yeah, that's uh, that's executive decision. Um, we'll uh, let's take a short break, get some popcorn, and uh, we'll pop back in a bit. Fab. Okay, so welcome to the intermission. So this is the part of the uh, episode where I ask my co-host a random question, a question they're not prepared for, um, and get their honest first answer. So, Vanessa, are you ready for your intermission question? I hope so. Okay, so it's reasonably sort of um, in sync with the the, the um, topic that we're discussing this, this episode. Um your question is, if you could drive or ride in one vehicle from any movie, what would it be? DeLorean. Yeah, because then you could travel on time. Would you really want to? Yeah, I think so. Would you not if you could get a chance? Like, I've seen enough time travel movies that I think and I would know all the rules, like don't get out of the car, just, like, go and have a look. Like, I wouldn't go and do it because the minute you do something, then you alter things and all the rest of it. But, yeah, I think I would go in the DeLorean. Like, don't um, make anything past Terminator 2. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I suppose if I thought about it more, I probably could think of something else, but I suppose the point of those questions is to go with your first instinct. And I think my first, yeah, I would go in the DeLorean and I think I would go and visit... I don't know what I would go and visit, actually, but I suppose there's loads of things that I would like. I've always wondered what happened to the Marie Celeste, you know, the boat where, like, mm-hmm. all the people disappeared. Um, I remember me and my friend had to do, at, at school and primary school, we had to write, like, a short story about what we thought happened. And um, me and my friend wrote a, this whole play about um, cannibals getting on board and eating everybody. And, um, and then themselves. Teacher, <laughs> my teacher wasn't very happy with that so that probably shows you what kind of person I actually am um, yeah. but I would like, I'd like to know what happened to the Marie Celeste yeah definitely so I would maybe go and try and figure that out um, be cool to go and see some dinosaurs maybe um, I don't think I would just go back like 
what is it, 30 years that they do in the movie. I mean, that's a bit shit. Um, I think I would go back further <laughs> than that. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, I'd like to go in the DeLorean with, um, with Doc and Einstein and go on some adventures, but not adventures where you're going to change in that's going to alter the course of history. Mm, well, that's always the risk. It is always there is. I love time. Do you like time travel movies? I've got a thing. I've, I've like it's one of those tropes in movies that I really enjoy time travel. <laughs> oh, it's baffling. It's baffling. I mean, I, mine's very much, uh, very simple. Really, it'd be the um, uh, the Tim Burton nineteen eighty nine Batmobile. That is the coolest Batmobile out of all the Batmobiles. Do you ever listen to um, Clash of the Titles the podcast? No, no. Uh, it's Alex Zane and um, two other folk who are really good, but whose names totally escape me. And, like, a bit like your podcast, but not quite the same. They pit movies against each other, but they're more like movies that have got more in common. So, like, they did an episode on, like, Bat... The, it was the Joker and Batman versus the Joker in the Dark Knight versus the Joker in Joker. Mm-hmm. And they talked a lot about how cool the DeLorean and the original Batman was and I was thinking about it and I was like yeah that was much cooler than that weird army thing that was in I mean I love the Dark Knight films but I don't like the Batmobile and that the original Batmobile is cool as fuck mm. good choice yeah I've seen the DeLorean or a copy of the DeLorean in real life but I've not seen the uh, the Batmobile the DeLoreans were supposed to be complete shit cars apparently that was like mm. the joke that they were really bad cars but I love Back Back to the Future is like one of my favourite films and yeah, just the idea of being able to go and like see like did cannibals actually kill everybody on board the Valley Slay. Have you ever seen that? I can't remember I don't think it was a part of a show, but it was a it was like a, a YouTube sort of cartoon about what what happened if Marty slept with his mum and stuff. It's just absolutely mental. I saw, was it the Family Guy? There was a Family Guy skit about it. Might it might have been Family Guy, actually. Yeah, yeah. It, and it was it was really funny. Um, <laughs> it would be good to talk about Back to the Future at some point, actually, because I absolutely adore it, but it is so problematic now. <laughs> I, mean, there, I mean, it was problematic then, actually. I think people just skimmed over the problematic parts, but, yeah, the potential incest, sexual assault, <laughs> you've got... What's his name? George McFly, the peeping talk. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> quite a few things going on with that film. Yeah, it's still brilliant. <laughs> Fantastic. Okay, so that's uh, we'll call that the end of the intermission and uh, let's head back to the main podcast. Okay, so that uh, leaves us uh, to uh, start talking about your choice then, Vanessa. What did you go for? I went for 1994's Speed. Pop quiz, hot shot. There's a bomb on a bus. If it drops below 50, it blows up. What do you do? The game began with the ultimate test. Where's Jack? Where do you think? No. Get off. Get off. Much better. He's the only solution. Pop quiz. You have a hair trigger aimed at your head. What do you do? Keanu Reeves. What do you do? Speed. I love this film. Um, and it's going to be really easy for me to talk about because <laughs> I love it so much. But yeah, 1984 Speed, um, directed by Jan de Bont. Um, 
and he this is his directorial debut I think although he produced a lot of other movies such as The Haunting Lara Croft the sequel to Lara Croft I think he did Speed 2 I think he um, directed Twister which mm-hmm. apparently there's a sequel coming out soon um, a, a bit like Executive Decision it's got quite a big cast and there's quite a lot of people that you recognise but I'll just go with the, the big ones so you've got Keanu Reeves and Sandra Bullock are kind of the stars of this movie um, Keanu Reeves um, plays Jack Traven, I think it is. Um, he's obviously a massive um, star, and even at this point, I think he had done Bill and Ted, the two Bill and Ted movies. Excellent. <laughs> Dangerous Liaisons, Point Break, which, funnily enough, I watched not long ago. I I, I love Point Break. I watch it kind of periodically, <laughs> and it was interesting watching it because he plays quite a similar character in that movie. Mm-hmm. I think at this point he'd done Bram Stoker's Dracula, yep. which I love, even though, <laughs> even though he is not great at in it, and his <laughs> accent is a bit like Terence and Philip from South Park. Um, yes. But I know I, where the bastard sleeps. <laughs> he's he's just he's just he's just. I still love it, and I still love him in it. Um, he's done, I think, my own private Idaho at this point. So, I mean, obviously, he's a bigger star now, and you've got all the John Wick stuff under his belt. But even at the time, he was a pretty big, he was a pretty big star. He's in the lead role. Um, I don't think you can. The thing is with Keanu Reeves, he's very likable, but he's very wooden in everything. He's less wooden in the Bill and Ted films. Do you not think in the Bill and Ted movies he maybe does like almost his best work? Because I don't mm. think he is as wooden in those. But then when you see him in like this Point Break, um, Dracula, he is very wooden. Um, but I don't know, when I watch Bill and Ted, I'm like, I think that's probably... I, I don't know if it's just maybe that's what he's more naturally like I in think... real life. I think if you look at his best performance, I would say is The Matrix, the original Matrix. Mm, mm. Because he is sort of, you know, he's he's sort of disenchanted and disassociated with the world that he lives in. Yeah. And it makes sense. Whereas, you know, anything where he's being, he needs to be sort of naturalistic, he, he sort of struggles with a little bit. I don't think he's a bad actor. I think he's just... His delivery is a little bit short, shall we say? And and yet, apparently, as one of the the nicest blokes, he's got this reputation mm. of being like one of the nicest blokes in Hollywood. I actually thought he was pretty good. Have you ever seen that? I think right. I might need corrected. I think it's a Sam Raimi movie called The Gift. It's like a yes. southern gothic yeah. kind of. Is, is it Sam Raimi? Am I right? I think so. Yes. If I and he's right. a villain in that. He's a total dick in it, and he's actually quite good at it. Yeah, it's a different role because you don't normally see him being the baddie, and he's. I actually thought he was pretty good in that as as the baddie. But like well, you, I, think if I, I like right, him. Doesn't he end up being not as bad as you think? Kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You may. It's made out to be that he's the the sort of villain of the piece, but he isn't. If I remember right, it's a long time since I've seen it. I think he is still bad. He's just not as bad as you think he is. But right. um, I, I thought he was really good in that. But like you. I don't think he's a great actor, but I still like him, and he's mm. in a lot of... I mean, like, things like Point Break and Bram Stoker's Dracula and the Bill and Ted movies, 
they're like some of my favourite movies. So yeah. despite me not thinking he's a great actor, I still really, really enjoy him and everything that he's in. Mm. Um, and then this... Now, this is... I was going through the cast and I was actually thinking, like, I think Keanu Reeves' name might come up first, but Sandra Bullock's obviously in this movie, but it's actually quite a while before she comes into it. I'd forgotten how long they started this, you know, the stuff in the elevator shaft mm-hmm. or whatever, you know. Yeah. I'd forgotten how long that went on, but um, Sandra Bullock, at this point, I think her biggest movie was Demolition Man. Yeah. Obviously since then she's been in tons, including Miss Congeniality, which I love. I remember a few years back, I recorded <laughs> Miss Congeniality 2 on our Sky Plus box, and my <laughs> husband actually turned around to me and said, I lost a little bit of love for you when I saw that you had recorded Miss Congeniality. Really? <laughs> See, you know, I'm not, a, I, I, I will admit, I'm not a big fan of, you know, quote unquote chick flicks, but Miss, the Miss Congeniality films are, qu- are quite good. I quite like them. I like them as well, and I think she's she's really good. Um, I always like Sandra Bullock. I even liked her in stuff like The Net, which was quite an early mm. movie. Um, she's obviously like Keanu Reeves, very easy on the eye. Like mm. she's just um, really really like her. But the other person that I was thinking about is is he a bigger star in this than Sandra Bullock is Dennis Hopper, obviously. He plays mm-hmm. Howard Payne, who's the baddie. Pop quiz, hotshot. Terrace holding a police hostage, got enough dynamite strapped to his chest to blow a building in half. Now, what do you do? I mean, Dennis Hopper doesn't really need an introduction. By this point, he'd done, like, Easy Rider, Apocalypse Now, True Romance, which I think we've touched on before, which is my favourite film. He's brilliant in that. Blue Velvet, where he plays... A supremely creepy character, Frank. I think his character. Fucking yeah, love, he's, love blue He's fucking terrifying in that. He's quite scary in this as well, actually. Super mm. Mario is he not in Super Mario that you oh, did? Fuck Jesus Christ! Yeah, that's that's a low point. Yeah, I mean he's he's considering he spends most of the film of this film acting with himself. You know, he's not. Mm-hmm. There's a few bits where he's bouncing off Keanu Reeves on the phone and stuff like that, but a lot of his scenes are just him by himself, and yeah, it it how he manages to build that character just by talking to the television and to the news and stuff like that, it's just amazing. He's brilliant. I mean, I think he's brilliant in everything, and I think he plays a really really good baddie. He's really good at this kind of stuff. So um. Those three are probably the kind of stars, but then you've got Jeff Daniels as um I don't know if he's Jack's partner, I think he's his partner, um Cop mm. Harry. Um I love Jeff Daniels. Like <laughs> Dumb and Dumber came out um the same year. I think his character was Harry in that as well. Arachnophobia um is another movie that I absolutely love. And it's weird because I hate spiders, but I love arachnophobia <laughs> and I think Jeff Daniels is great in that. But I think that's a, it, it's a good arachnophobia is a good example of playing on a fear that a lot of people have. Just basic. I mean, I'm not an arachnophobiac. I wouldn't say that I am, but I'm not the biggest fan of spiders, and you know, it, it plays on that sort of base fear. And, and and this film does. I think I sort of picked up. You know, the opening 
sort of set pieces this is is lifts which a lot of people have fears about lifts and lifts just you know dropping to the floor and things like that and i thought that was a very clever way to start this film is playing on that fear of of a lift just dropping to the floor which was it was really good and really tense well i'm scared of everything so i am scared of spiders i'm also not a huge fan I'm, i'm not i'm not terrified of lifts but i'm not overly keen especially really small lifts i'm not really keen on being in lifts um but yeah so jeff and you, daniels and you're, now, you're now scared of steak bakes as well steak bakes i've added to the long list of things that i'm afraid of <laughs> um the other kind of um now there are a lot of bit parts so um i'm probably not going to mention them all but the other character i want to mention is um is it steven or stevens alan ruck who best known probably for ferris bueller's day off <laughs> He was also yeah. in Twister um, from Jan de Bont as well. And I don't know if you've been watching Succession. Um, no. Right, I, I've completely binged like three <laughs> seasons of Succession and I'm now watching the fourth season, which is amazing. I would highly recommend it. And Alan Rock's in that. But I think he really provides the kind of comic relief mm. in this. Um, and he, the only he, doesn't, other... he doesn't look a day over Farish Bueller as well. He just doesn't seem to age. Well, even now, seeing Succession, his hair's grey, but see, facially, he looks exactly the same. Mm. Um, but he's really good at comedy, Alan Rock, and I think he gets he gets some amazing lines in this. Um, the last the last thing I've seen him in was the, or the most recent thing I've seen him in was the Exorcist TV series. Mm. I never watched that. Was it good? Yes and no. It was good up until a point, and it's one of those things where you've got to watch it to see where that point is. Right. Without spoiling it, right? It's, okay. it's he plays this. He's the sort of father of this family that's affected by this possession, um, and he's. I don't know if he's had an accident, but he's got sort of memory problems, and right. I don't know if it's early Alzheimer's or something like that. But it's pretty good in it. I just it gets to a point, and you just think, no, this is no. I'll maybe give it a. a... I go, I know that um, David, is it David Gordon Green, is that his name, that did have the Halloween trilogy, is doing um, a new Exorcist movie yes. at some point this year, so that'll be, I don't know if it'll be interesting or not, <laughs> but um, but I mean there's, I didn't list all the other, because there are quite a few characters like, on the bus and stuff that um, that you recognise, like uh, Joe Morton that we spoke about in um, Executive Decision is obviously in this. There's a very small part of the bus driver of the original bus that explodes, uh, John Capadice, I think his name is, right. who I recognise from Ace Ventura. He's like the kind of head of police in Ace Ventura. Yes. Yeah. He's in Jacob's Ladder. I think he plays a cop in Jacob's Ladder as well. And he's also in Gremlins 2. In fact, I think he might play a cop in Gremlins 2 as well. Um, I think he's one of those guys that's kind of typecast a little bit. But there's, <laughs> there are there are loads of other um, actors in it, but you know there's so many that um, it would be difficult to to list them all. Now I've tried to do a synopsis, right? Um, but actually, <laughs> I think that there's a really basic synopsis for this movie. There's a bomb on a bus, and the bus needs to be kept above fifty mile an hour. I mean, you can imagine somebody going into like a Hollywood meeting and pitching this movie. It would be a fairly <laughs> short patch because it's so so clever there's a bomb on a bus once the bus goes 50 miles an hour bomb is armed 
If it drops below 50, it blows up. But, as I said, when I actually watched this again, and I've seen it loads of times, but I think I watched it last week, I forgot it's quite a while before you actually get onto the bus. There's like a good mm-hmm. 40 minutes or so starting with that elevator scene, which is actually really, really effective. And as you say, it kind of plays on a lot of people's fears. It sets up the characters, it sets up Keanu Reeves and Jeff Daniels' characters. They're obviously like, you know, really close. Um, and it sets up the, the baddie Howard Payne so that you know he's got a bit of a vendetta at that point. There's there's two points in that scene, the sort of elevator takeover scene, that really I couldn't figure out. One is uh, Jack Travins, as they're going up each floor, he's shouting the floor number, even though it's very clearly marked on the wall. Yep. I just found that very pointless. Uh, yeah. And, my God, Keanu Reeves is chewing gum like there's no tomorrow. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he does that in Point Break as well, actually. <laughs> in fact, this character, I don't know when... I'd have to look up when Point Break came out. What's this? This is 1994. two, I think. Yeah, Point I think... Or was it 90? Break. It might be 1990. Yeah, it was... I think it was before this because... I don't know if that's why he was cast, but he definitely plays a very similar character um, in Point Break. What's it they say? Young, dumb and full of calm. <laughs> it's that kind of young, hotshot, good-looking... 90, 91. 91, right, okay. Um, so it's, it's funny because I thought he, he was a very similar character in that. But I actually think on a rewatch, the elevator stuff is really interesting. It sets everything up really well. It is really scary. I mean, that bit where the woman refuses to come, you know, she's like the last person to get rescued out of the lift. She's obviously terrified. And they grab her just as the lift kind of falls. Mm. I mean, it, it is really tense. Um, there is a bit, though, um, with that elevator thing before... Um, Jack and Harry turn up um, they kind of come roaring in this car and it jumps it's Sanford no it's LA isn't it that this movie's set in mm-hmm. it's LA and it like jumps because they're obviously going so fast and then it land. the car lands and you think to yourself there's no way <coughs> at that speed if the car jumped like that and then landed it would still be in one piece like the car would be fucked it kind of adds to the the, the kind of action theme um, of the movie and then obviously you've got all that stuff at the start Howard Payne is wanting I think 3 million or 3.7 mm-hmm. million or something and the plan's foiled so then he obviously decides that he's going to put a bomb on a bus, he blows up the bus, eh, the first bus and then mm-hmm. you get this really good set piece of Keanu Reeves effectively stealing a car now is that actually allowed? Are you allowed, as a police officer in America, or here in the UK, to stop a car and say to somebody, I'm the police, I need your car? Because this poor guy is just driving along in what I'm assuming (laughs) is quite a prized possession, you know, I don't know what kind of car it is, but, you know, he's obviously, like, um, soft-top kind of sports car. Jaguar. Is that what it is, a Jaguar? Like, I would be... I mean, I drive a fucking Fiesta, right? I would be absolutely raging if somebody <laughs> rocked up and was like, I'm the police, you need to move over and let me wreck your car. You know, you've got insurance. But I mean, what would your insurance even say to that? I mean, for a start, they would probably say, like, you're obviously crazy. That never happened. <laughs> like, you're just making this story up. I, but I, I just like how he says, um, 
there's a line, there's this line about it's not stolen or something like that because obviously it's a black guy and it's like, you know I'm sick of this you know it's not stolen. <laughs> <laughs> Poor guy, he's probably getting pulled over left, right, and centre. Well, he actually, I don't know if you've seen Speed Two, but he's um, he's actually the same. He's the only character other than uh, Sandra Bullock's that's in the the second film. I haven't seen it. However, the night it showed on ITV4, the following night, um, Speed 2 showed, and I just set up Speed to record. But seeing some of these channels, when you record films, they have a break halfway through and do like a news, Mm -hmm. like a five-minute news thing. So you have to press record series to get both parts of the movie. But because I did that, it's also recorded uh, Speed 2 that was on the following night so I definitely will watch Speed at some point soon because it's on my Skybox um, I know that that one's set on a boat so it's quite different um, I've got a bit of a soft spot for Speed 2 because it was one of the first films I went to see not on my own but without a parent or a sibling Ah, uh, right okay I, I, I think it, it gets a bad rap it's not Speed 2, it's not a great sequel but I think had it been not a sequel it would have yep. been a better film but yeah. that's by the by it's yeah <laughs> i will definitely i'll definitely watch it um because like i said it's on my although i've got quite a few movies on my skybox but i definitely will get around to watching it um but yeah once a uh, jack commandeers this poor guy's jaguar um he manages to, to eventually pull up beside the bus, pulls the poor guy's door off to enable himself to get on the bus. Obviously, everybody at this point on the bus is like, what the fuck is going on? Who Who is this lunatic? And then once he gets on the bus, he explains that. Now, this confused me a wee bit. Is it when the bus goes below 50 that the bomb is activated and then you have to stay above 50 or it'll detonate. When it goes, when it first goes above 50, it's activated. And at that point you have to keep it above 50 to yes, stop it detonating. Yes, and if it drops below 50, yeah. yeah. Right. I, I found it a bit strange that, like, because there's, there's obviously this point when he gets on the bus and there's this guy who thinks that he's there to arrest him. Yep. And obviously it ends up that he's shot, he shoots the bus driver. The driver, yeah. But it's like, why would you think that this cop is in the middle of the freeway jumping on this bus just to arrest you? There's a lot of stretches in this film. I think that's probably the point I'm trying to make. I think what they were needing to do was get rid of the bus driver yeah. so that Sandra yeah. Bullock but I think there's probably better ways you could have done that mm-hmm. you could have had the bus driver take some kind of panic attack or heart attack because of what's happening I agree like this guy's obviously got a criminal re- or he's obviously worried about the police for whatever reason but mm-hmm. as you say would he really unless he was like a terrorist or something they wouldn't go to this kind of length to get him but I think it was just a plot device. As you say, there are a few bits that you have to kind of stretch your imagination a bit. But to me, it's just the need Sandra Bullock, who apparently learned to drive a bus for this movie. <laughs> they need to get her. And obviously, she's just a like a college student, I think, who happens to be on the bus, ironically, because she's lost a driving licence for speeding. Mm-hmm. And um, they need to get her in the driving seat of the bus. 
I heard that um, apparently originally when this idea was first pitched, the bus had to stay above 20 miles an hour because it just had to stay fast enough that a person couldn't catch it. But I think, you know, the the producers and stuff were like, that is a totally shit movie. <laughs> like, 20 miles an hour is really quite mm-hmm. slow. 50, I think, is probably quite a good... Because if you had, like, it being, like, 70 or 80, I think that would have you know, they would have crashed right back at the start. Mm-hmm. Whereas I suppose 50 is the kind of speed that if you're in a lot of traffic... One of the things that struck me about this, actually, I'm, I don't know if it's because of COVID, I've become quite a nervous driver. I used to be quite a confident driver and I've become quite nervous about driving on the motorway. So see the scenes where he was trying to get on the bus and then they're trying to get the bus off the freeway and stuff. I'm a cop! LAPD! There's a bomb on your bus! There's a bomb! I actually found them, like I said, add to the long list of things that I find frightening. But this idea of these multi-lane freeways with, um, and it's obviously kind of like rush hour, so there's tons of traffic. So, you know, I think, and I think that works really well, actually, because there's so much, you know, if it happened at like 10 o'clock at night, there's not really going to be any stakes. There's probably not going to be a lot of traffic about. But because there's all this traffic about, it just makes it that much more... um, tense i suppose but once the the bus driver shot sandra bullock ends up taking over driving um the bus and then in my mind you've got then the best part of the movie to me the best part of the movie is from when um jack gets on the bus mm-hmm. to when they eventually get off the bus and then there's a bit that i suppose we'll talk about at the end that i don't think works quite as well i think the the best part is the time that they're on the bus because that's that kind of single set and you know how are they going to do this they're going to have to get through this traffic and then they've mm-hmm. got the added um they've got all the police helicopters and but not just the police they've got the news helicopters so they think you know howard payne's watching what they're doing obviously at that mm-hmm. point they don't know that he's got a camera on board and um so you've got that to contend with and i don't know about you but to me the whole it must be about an hour or so or the best part of an hour on the bus is probably mm-hmm. the best part and if you speak to people about this movie I think that's a bit that they remember not necessarily the elevator sequence at the start although that's really good or the bit at the end which I think is probably less good but the actual just whole scene on the bus I think is where the, like, the strength of this movie is yeah well that's it and you know I think it's it's very similar to executive decision in terms of you know, you think action movie, you think, you know, guns and shooting and violence and everything else. Mm-hmm. And in the same way that an executive decision isn't like that, this film is very much about the tension, it's very much about the the pace and the speed, quote-unquote speed, um, yeah. of, of what's happening and what they've got to react to rather than just the pure action and the violence and the interactions, I suppose. It's 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 very much um, about the tension rather than the action, almost. A bit like Executive Decision as well. Like, you do watch it thinking, what would I do if I was on that bus? You know, how would mm. I react to that? And everybody on the bus reacts really differently. You've got people that are obviously a bit stronger who help. And then you've got, like, the guy that shoots the bus driver, Alan Rock... Um, you've got a woman 
who tries to get off and ends up being killed because she's so scared. So I think the the kind of um, supporting cast on the bus are all really believable because they all react to the situation really differently, mm-hmm. which I think would happen in a situation like that. Um, but And I think one of the bits on the bus that I think is probably one of the tensest bits is when Annie, it is Annie, isn't Sandra Bullock's character, is driving mm-hmm. and the woman with the pram crosses the road yes. and obviously she can't slow down she ends up hitting the pram it ends up that the, the pram's full of cans that's been done since then similar things because i've definitely seen that kind of thing in other movies but obviously she thinks she's hit a baby it's not a baby it's just a bunch of cans i think in america could be wrong but i think if you collect cans you can get like money back from they've got some kind of like scheme where you can basically take your cans back and get money so it was um, in the in nineties. I remember it was. It, I can't remember if it was if if they if you put a magnet to them and they stuck, you could get something for them or something like that. Right, right. So I thought that bit was like particularly good. Obviously, then you've got Joe Morton's character in the helicopter speaking to Jack, trying to get them off the highway, which they do eventually manage. They get them on initially to a freeway that's still getting built. Um, <laughs> and then, of course, part of that's missing. So then you've got that awesome scene where the bus has to jump. I think it's 50 feet. Again, I think you have to suspend your disbelief because I think if that bus jumped that and landed, it would be in bits at that point. But it you know, adds to the tension. And then eventually they manage to get the bus into LA Airport. For some reason, they don't move all the planes out the airport. Like, the planes are still there. And then she's kind of spinning about the airport. At that point, you think that Howard Payne, the only way he knows what's going on is because of the press helicopters that are following the bus. And then you've got what I quite like, the bit where, you know, he keeps calling Annie Wildcat Mm -hmm. and you don't really know why. And then eventually Jack twigs that that's the name of, the football team for his Arizona University or whatever that she, uh, the, the uni that she goes to and he realises that he's watching the camera on board. Mm. So the way that they trick him is by filming everybody on the board just basically doing nothing and then um, sending that on whatever signal um, he's watching so that they can start getting people off the bus. Obviously that doesn't work quite as they intended because somebody I think I don't know touches their nose or something and then he realizes is it the um, bag disappears it it's sort of the the start and end of the clip sort of thing the bag disappears in a in the lady's uh, lap that's it so it's like a, almost like a continuity mm-hmm. error kind of thing but um before that just taking a step back a wee bit he has to go under the bus and find out what kind of bomb is on board. <laughs> Very like executive decision. He's lying under the bus. He's looking at the bomb. He's relaying things back to Alan Ruck, who I think is on the phone to Harry. And you get a a, a good bit where I think he's... Re- Jack's <laughs> saying stuff. Alan Ruck's saying it to Harry. And I think uh, Jack says, Fuck me! Oh, darn. <laughs> It's really good. (laughs) And then you've got Harry, who's obviously some kind of bomb disposal expert, um, Mm -hmm. trying to figure out what kind of bomb it is. There's a gold watch 
attached to the bomb and Harry realises that um, Howard Payne is a retired cop who I think possibly was retired on like disability and mm-hmm. got like a cheap gold watch that was mentioned a couple of times earlier on and then later on there's another scene where I'm trying to defuse the bomb and um, I think the, the thing that he's on the board kind of ends up getting stuck there's debris lying which is quite a tense bit. You know, there's two or three different scenes kind of with this board under the bus that I think work really well. They get everybody off the bus. Um, Eventually, Alan Ruck, I think, is the last one to get off and he ends up kind of falling. So it's only Annie and Jack that are left on the bus and then they manage to kind of rig up the accelerator and the steering wheel to give them enough time to get Mm -hmm. off. And then there's this brilliant scene when they get off and the plane, eh, the the bus crashes into a plane. I'm not sure why that plane was there because I'm sure they had <laughs> enough time to say we need to clear this airport. But I'm assuming it was an empty plane. <clears throat> I think it was getting pulled. It wasn't, you know, being driven by MD. It was being pulled along. And at that point, and I suppose this is where, if I'm being really critical of this movie, I think it it the tension dips a wee bit because. I should also mention, sorry, as well, that during all of this, um, Harry and a team of cops go to Howard Payne's house and it's rigged and it ends up killing Harry um, and the other cops. It's such a brilliant piece of acting when the realisation on Harry's face when he knows that it's a set-up and there's a bomb there and it's just, you know, a two-second look on Harry's face that he knows it's a setup and he's gonna die basically. It's brilliant. He's really good actually. I mean I like Jeff Daniels anyway, but I think he is particularly good in this film. And mm-hmm. as you say, that look in his face. Do you know they actually blew somebody's house up for that? Like they paid to blow wow. somebody's house up for that <laughs> scene. Um so that obviously um increases the stakes because Jack is more pissed off, his friends died, um, so that makes him even more kind of um, wanting to win in the situation. But when Sandra Bullock and Keanu Reeves finally get off the bus on the board, I know you can end the movie at that point because Howard Payne's still alive, but you've then got this kind of 20, 30 minutes, I don't know how long it is at the end, where... He doesn't know, or they think he doesn't know that everybody's got off the bus. He obviously does work it out. So Mm -hmm. they they have this dead drop for uh, for the ransom money uh, underneath a bin. And then um, because he's worked out what's happening, he dresses up as a cop. He takes Sandra Bullock hostage and they end up in an underground um, train. I just felt it just, at that point, it just, it doesn't lose me, but... It just, the tension there just doesn't seem quite as high as it was when they were on the bus. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, there's the there's the obvious scene where he, once he gets down into the subway and he's, you know, saying, you know, turn around and all that sort of thing. And it's quite clearly Sandra Bullock and not Dennis Hopper. Yep. It, it does, it's got to have that final climax of, Jack versus Howard kind of thing. So it yeah. does have that. You've got to take that leap at that point, which I think is relatively believable because obviously he said, I want the money here at this time, at this point. 
at this specific location but they're acting as if you know he's not got a backup plan as well the biggest problem i find is that why would you take annie to that location to that location that's the biggest leap i think really well i mean surely she should be like in the hospital or whatever because i mean she has heart physically not severely but i mean she, she has been hurt when they escaped from the bus but obviously as on top of that and this is maybe something that would be picked up more now maybe than in the mid 90s but surely she has got some form of like ptsd or something like mm. something like that happens to you i don't think you would just they would just be like on your way like off you yeah. go kind of thing like i think yeah. you would be kept and they would say like we'll get you a psychiatrist or we'll offer you yeah. some form of therapy or well, something so and I don't know if that's because it's mid nineties. It's maybe there's this whole line of you know relationships relationships that start in extreme circumstances don't work out, which yep. comes into play in Speed Two as well. Well, that's you know that's right. You wouldn't expect you know a a police officer in that situation to then take that person to the next part of the operation. I suppose. No. No, I think that is quite unbelievable. I mean, I, I so I know why why they've got it because it increases the stakes of that last bit. Mm, I just course, think yeah. it it loses me a wee bit towards the end because it's so tense on the bus. I think there's a way that you could have done that end, but and I think the fact that they then get on a train, so you've had all this stuff on a bus, and it's like rather than just have some kind of face Mexican standoff or whatever between mm-hmm. Jack and Howard they put them on a train and it's like, right, you've already done this. Like, you're now having another vehicle that's kind of running away. And <laughs> it just seems a little bit... Having said that, when he does finally kill Howard and you get that line to Annie about, oh, where's pain? <laughs> he lost his head. That's pretty good. And the decapitation scene is gorier than what I remember as well. I was like, oh, this is actually quite, you know, quite a gory bit. And being a horror fan, I love stuff like that. But I oh, just... I, I, you know what? I, the better line, I think, is... Yeah. Well, I'm taller. <laughs> <laughs> There's quite a good few lines in this, actually. And I'm not... When I say that the end bit loses me a wee bit, I don't mean that as a massive criticism, because overall, I still really, really enjoy this film, and I enjoy that end bit... I just think the best part of the movie is on the bus. And I think if you ask people yeah. about speed, that's what they remember. They they, yeah. they don't remember what happened before or after the bus. They just remember everything that happened, him going under and checking the bomb, having to keep it above 50 mile an hour, jumping that 50 yeah. foot. You know, they're all the bits that folk remember. Mm-hmm. But, um, and then obviously it's a happy ending. They end up kissing, I'm assuming. Well, maybe not because Keanu Reeves isn't in speed too. But, you know, you're supposed to think that they have this, you know, wonderful, yeah. wonderful life together. And apparently I read, and I don't know if this is true, but they started dating after they were in this movie together. Um, and I think they do have quite good chemistry. So that wouldn't actually surprise me if um, if they did. But I don't well, think it was long. You know, I don't think it went on for a long period of time. But apparently they did date for a while. Well, it's, it uh, according to some news reports, he's the biggest bigamist in the world because apparently he officially got married to Winona Ryder on set of Bram Stoker's Dracula really 
the scene where the 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 sort of orthodox wedding was apparently um, genuine. Oh wow! So that when they're in like Transylvania, or Romania, mm-hmm. or whatever, and his hairs have turned white, and the um, oh wow, I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> well, and this apparently they they end up together, so um, which is quite nice actually, and I think. That is one of the aspects. I know that we've spoken about Keanu Reeves not being the best actor in the world, but you do believe that mm. the two of them click. This this uh, this film suits his acting style, I think. Yeah. There's a couple of points where you think, oh god, but the the character and the the script, I suppose, really sort of suits his 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 acting abilities in a way. Yeah. I think it because it's the same with Point Break. It's quite a similar role, and I think that he just, as you say, this kind of suits him. It's not too deep in any way. Mm-hmm. He just has to kind of do what it says on the tin kind of thing, and I think that does suit him. Um, I think Sandra Bullock's a better actor than him, though, and I think that comes mm-hmm. across when you see the two of them together. It yeah. definitely comes across when you see Keanu Reeves and Howard Payne, um, Dennis Hopper together. I mean, mm. he is obviously a great actor, and I think that's the thing with, even with Jeff Daniels, actually, when you see the two of them, I think you believe Jeff Daniels. So I think the thing with Keanu Reeves is that he is good, even mm-hmm. though he's a bit wooden, but it highlights it. It's, you know, like I said, I watched Point Break recently. When you see him with, like, Patrick Swayze, for instance... Patrick Swayze is much better in that role than what Keanu Reeves is. I can't remember his name in Point Break. Um, but yeah. it's it's just... It shows up, I think, when he's with other people that obviously are better at acting. But having said all of that, I really like him in this movie. I think mm. he's quite well cast to a certain extent. And, um, yeah, I think it's just a great movie. It's one of those movies I could kind of put on in any mood and just yeah. watch or have on in the background. You know what I mean? Like one of those films that you can just kind of stick on, don't yeah. have to pay too much attention to it. And it is actually quite funny. Like I said, Alan Rock actually gets <laughs> quite a few good lines. Like when they get to the airport, he says, oh, we're at the airport. I've already seen the airport because he's obviously <laughs> a tourist. Um, you know, he gets to say a few kind of... Yeah funny things like he says to one of the other passengers something like oh it's okay if you need to you go right ahead and vomit um i quite like alan rock's kind of he brings a wee bit of humor to it but i think it's just a classic mid-90s movie basically i think you you get a lot of that from dennis hopper as well i think to be fair you know because he is acting against himself you know this the line that always comes to my head when somebody says speed you know there's, there's the obvious ones of you know, if it goes over 50 miles an hour, it's going to arm, and it, if it goes below, it's going to blow up kind of thing. But Dennis Hopper, I think, has the, you know, the the one that always comes to mind when somebody mentions speed is um, where the newscaster said, oh, you know, they're, they're held at the whim of a madman. And he's like, no. <laughs> the whim of a madman. <laughs> I like that. And then, um, what is it, later on, he says, poor people are crazy, I'm eccentric. (laughs) (laughs) He is really good. He drinks an awful lot of coke. Every time you see him, 
he's got like another <laughs> bottle and it's like the glass you know like the good coke like glass bottle mm-hmm. i don't know if you drink coke but like i always think uh, i drink diet coke it's always better out of a glass bottle than it is out of anything else but he's constantly drinking like these bottles of coke so I don't, mm-hmm. it's but he is quite like hyped up all the time like he feels well, he's, quite he's almost this believable character that you know he's been fucked over in his professional career as a policeman and yep. you know just thrown to the side and everything and he wants what's rightfully his whether it's pension um, you know just get a shitty old watch because he's been cast to one side because of disability or whatever you know it's it, it's it's an extreme reaction, but it's it's almost believable in yeah. the same respect. I think so, and I think because he's so good, you do believe him. You believe he's got this vendetta, and um, it feels like he's been mistreated. But he is the standout performance, I think, of the whole film. I think anybody would say that. But he's yeah. also probably the most experienced and... You know, it's Dennis Hopper, like, you know, what else can you say, really? But it makes it... It makes it a better film for having a minute because you could have cast somebody that played that role a little bit more... I don't know, just your kind of typical baddie and it just mm-hmm. probably wouldn't have been quite as exciting. And yeah. um, But no, I, I, I really enjoy this movie. I, I think it's... If I'm being, like I said, really critical, the end but I think could have been a wee bit shorter. I think it could have ended 10 minutes or so maybe before it did and it might have just been a slightly tighter movie. Mm-hmm. But I will, like I said, it's the type of film that I will always just, you know, if I see it's on TV or whatever, I would easily just sit and watch it on like a Saturday night or something. Mm-hmm. After, you know, coming in from being in the pub and you're, you know, you're a wee bit bleary eyed and you just want to put <laughs> something on that you're not having to pay too much attention to kind of thing. Um... But no, I, I think mean, it's brilliant. I mean, my final thought, the the one thing I'd like to throw in is the way that Sandra Bullock says gum in this film. <laughs> There's gum on my seat. Gum. Gum. <laughs> that's my final thought on this film. Yeah. But I mean, you know, I think, you know, to sort of wrap up and compare the two films from my perspective I would say I think executive decision is definitely a more taut film it's the script the story you know everything is is pretty pristine and makes sense and it it, it flows beginning to end where speed excels is in those action set pieces and the tension is really strong it's it, you know it, it, it it's really sort of taut action set pieces whereas the stories maybe a, a lot less believable yeah i would agree to a certain extent i mean i'm always going to prefer speed because i've got a certain amount of nostalgia Maybe like you have with this executive decision. I obviously only watched executive decision for the first time last night. And like I said, I definitely would watch it again. But Speed is something that I've loved since the first time I saw it, which probably was when it came out in 1994. So I probably saw it not long after it came out, maybe a year or two. Mm-hmm. And um, I think I'll always prefer it just because that kind of nostalgia and because I think some of the action set pieces are so good but I think looking at that 
looking at it in, on the whole and looking at executive decision, I think you're right. I think executive decision overall is totter. I think there are parts of speed, especially towards the end, that probably could be dropped. And as you say, yeah, you do have to suspend your disbelief a little bit because there's a couple of decisions made in speed that you think to yourself, why why are they doing that? Why is that happening? Like I said, I mean, obviously you've pointed out some of the obvious ones, like um, why would they take Sandra Bullock to the drop-off of the money? But I still can't understand why, if they knew the bus was going out in the airport, they, they would have a plane. That it, you know, you would just mm. clear a massive space for it. Like, there's some aspects of it I just don't really well, get. I think that the whole believability that the, that the bus would tip over 50 kilometers an hour and then drop below it is a is a little bit unbelievable as well because you would imagine that yeah i mean my perspective as somebody who's never been to la is that there would still be traffic so yeah if it goes over 50 it's probably very quickly gonna drop below 50 yeah so i think there is that you know the whole sort of plan and the plot of Howard Payne is more unbelievable than the Naji Hassan plan of you know, crashing a plane in America to create a big uh, atomic bomb basically or dirty man's atomic bomb as they say in the film. You could even believe that Howard, like if Howard Payne put a bomb on a plane that wouldn't be that unbelievable. Like yeah. you could you could believe that, but as you say with the bus, with the kind of fifty miles and everything, does does it really make a lot of sense if you think about it? Probably not. But as I said, I probably just prefer it because of the nostalgia. But and I really enjoyed watching both films actually, and they have got quite a lot mm. in common. Obviously, the 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 obvious being that they're they're kind of based on a mode of transport, but there's there's other things they have in common as well. Morton. Yeah, and Joe Morton, <laughs> who I really enjoyed in both, actually. But I think he's great in Terminator, too, as well. He's he's a mm. really good actor. But no, I thoroughly enjoyed watching both of them, and I'm pleased to have seen Executive Decision, so thank you for um, for good. suggesting that one so that <laughs> I, I got to actually see it. And it's for anybody that wants to see it that hasn't seen it, it's on Amazon Prime, so it's like £3.50 or whatever, but it's definitely mm. it's well worth it. Yeah, definitely well worth that. Yeah, I think it, it did the rounds quite recently on Netflix, so it might pop on right, again right, okay. on the in the near future. You never know. Yeah, uh, but uh, so yeah, so um, that about sort of wraps us up for this uh, episode. Thank you very much once again for joining me, Vanessa. Thanks very much. I enjoyed that. Is there uh, anything that you'd like to sort of plug or any way that people can get in contact with you or follow you on social media? Um, I don't think anything to plug as such, um, but I am on Letterboxd, Instagram and Facebook as Vanessa Cordner, maybe Vanessa L. Cordner on Facebook. So if anybody wants to get in touch or like follow me on Letterboxd, um, then go right ahead. But yeah, thanks. Okay, so it just leaves me to say goodbye and for Vanessa to say... Man sure has a hard-on for this boss. <laughs> <laughs>